everybody. Welcome to the Blackboard Podcast with Carlos and Randall. Randall. And uh, I don't know. I think we had a little surge there because everything went off. But anyway, uh, today we have Brandon White. He's our newest reserve officer. He actually works for the Division of Wildlife. Is that right, Brandon? That's correct. Right on. Right on. So, yeah, uh, today we don't have any students here today. It's uh, They have the week off for spring, spring break. That's what we call this week is spring. Like, yeah, it doesn't look like it. I, I think it's usually more for the professors to finish up their session or block classes. That's exactly what we got to turn in our grades in the next few days. I know. By Tuesday? I'm hoping Wednesday because yeah. uh, it oh. might be pushed for me on Tuesday. Uh-oh. How many classes? I'm only doing one right now, but I have another one starting up. But oh. I'm also, you know, working a normal job, coaching soccer kids and just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a bu- it's busy. It's busy. And... Uh, how much of the grading? Do you have to read a lot of papers? Did you have people write papers? Is that? Yes. So we included uh, a lot, quite a bit of writing in it. Um, most of it's just, most of the writing is only about a page or two, and most of it's just their thoughts. So most of it wasn't a ton of research on their part. Um, a lot of reading, and again, a page or two in writing. And mostly it was just because it's something that interests me. Um, and so it takes a little bit more work to read through it and make some comments because I want to. I don't want to just go, okay, you did it, A. You didn't do it, F, you know, F, and you you, you want to make sure you actually spend some time on it. And because I enjoy doing it, it's one of the joys of being an adjunct is that at least I'm not burned out yet. Yeah. Um, not that any other professors are. None of them are, I'm sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's a fun thing to do, and so it takes some time to get through those. So what would you say you like better, grading uh, uh, essays or final papers or just going over like a multiple-choice so I always joke about it when it comes to creating a class and, and doing those kind of things is the more work you put up front into something, the less you have to do later. So that's multiple choice. If you do multiple choice, it takes a lot of work to write those questions and try and do them in a way that you think is fair. The class will understand them, but at the same time challenge how well they've read. That takes some time. But grading them, oh, no, the system does that itself. You just go through and make sure there aren't any errors. You don't have to change much. Nice. On the, the essay ones or even just the write down a page or two, those are easy. I mean, they're literally the questions are a sentence or two. They're relatively simple, but they take quite a while to grade. Yeah. Um, in truth, I actually enjoy the grading part more when the essays are there because we have a lot of smart students. We really do. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun to get their different perspectives. You know, we'll ask basic questions like, should, you, should we legalize gambling in Utah kind of thing? And it's kind of interesting because so many of the SUU students are not necessarily from Utah, so they bring in different perspectives of how they view Utah, how they view the concept. So it's kind of a fun thing to do. So it takes more time afterwards to grade them that way, but it's a ton of fun. Nice. nice. Maybe if I had dumb students, it wouldn't be fun, but I have smart <laughs> students. Oh, man. So, Brandon, you graduated. You got a bachelor's degree. I'm assuming for the Division of Wildlife, you have to have – uh, a bachelor's degree in yeah so at the time it was required to have a bachelor's degree in wildlife biology or other related field but that was actually just legislated out a little while ago so we no longer require bachelor's degrees but they are desired i guess wow um, but we can't that. we can't really exclude anyone based off of that particular thing but yeah i got a degree graduated back in 2014 with a degree in wildlife and wildlands conservation nice from where from byu some of us bleed blue. You got to deal with it, Carlos. Can you see the look on my? If people can see the look on my face, is <laughs> you like realize he's shocked. outnumbered? It's just dang. Well, there are two BYU grads in this room. That's sad. Well, well, good for you guys. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks, Carlos. We really felt that. <laughs> yes, it was very sincere. Could you tell? <laughs> wow. Well, that's exciting. Well, that's cool. So. So right now, uh, Brandon, we're is it entering the final days of sign up for to put in for the hunt? Yeah. So our big game hunt draws, I I believe they close on March fourth. March fourth. I still got time to put in. I was like, your webpage says March third, so March I'm gonna make 3rd. sure we don't misstate. We are very very close. Remember, February only has 28 days, so today is your last day of February. That's a prime example of why they don't put me on these things, <laughs> <laughs> or why we should warn you a little bit more before just throwing you in. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I know I'm definitely putting in for the hunt. It's just online, so wildlife.utah.gov. Very big thing on there. Aim for adventure. 
Apply now. Yes. Be a better aim than me. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Just don't put in for the units I'm putting in for. Because <laughs> then we're never going to get the big ones because he's already going to get them. So, yeah. So, I got to tell you, my uh, my youngest son, I put him through the Hunter Ed, went, did everything. And uh, he uh, he got a certificate and he's ready to rock. Uh, he's going to put in, hopefully, he doesn't turn 12 till November 16th. Um, and uh, now, I don't know, is there a lot of people that can put in now without when they're going to be 12 that year? Do it have to be, I don't know. I, I think, uh, <laughs> so I just told my son, I was like, you know what? I think we'll wait till your birthday and, uh, and then maybe put in for the way later hunts. Cause he's, he's ambitious. He's ambitious. So I just told, you know, just to be safe because, I don't want to get his hopes up. I just told him, you better wait till you're 12. So I think there's going to be some later hunts, but it'll be cold by that time. It'll be cold, but that's half the fun. You got to have all the gear and be ready to go out there. That's true. That's true. We'll have to make that happen. It's kind of yeah. like, like ice fishing. You don't expect to necessarily be warm the entire time. Well, that's not necessarily true. Depends on how you got your, your shack set up. Oh, yeah. I have a here's – a, here's a quick thing if – Somebody wants to contribute some some donations from a certain co- <coughs> company. I have an Eskimo ice fishing tent. Ooh. And it is a four to six man and it's insulated. And I also and my brother just got me a uh what is it, a heater buddy? I don't know what it's called. Uh Mr. And, buddy. Yeah, there you go. And I gotta tell you, it is warm in that tent. Colder than sin outside, but man, it like feels good. Once you're set up, you're doing well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, ice fishing it can be fun if you got the right equipment. So once again, if Eskimo wants to get a hold of us, uh, you can email us, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can we can figure something out. We can get some more reviews, and uh, I don't know. I think that's the big thing. If you're if you're prepared, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. If absolutely. you're not prepared, you might not enjoy it. And uh, well, DWR have a rescue team. Uh, the county sheriff's department has a search and rescue. <laughs> That's who you send first, and you guys might assist. Yeah, call them. <laughs> Be yeah. prepared, seriously, because you never know when the weather can change, even when you look at forecasts. And oh yeah, you just an injury can put you down. So be prepared for the cold conditions up anywhere where it's worth hunting and fishing at. Yep. And I'm gonna, yeah, Brandon. I don't know what you tell people, but I would say have a 72-hour kit, some extra blankets, and some food just in case you do get stuck. Let's say. Something happens and you have to stay there for the night. At least you'll have that little, oh, take extra propane tanks that you can hook that little buddy to. And Yeah, and also uh, if you're going to be out in the snow or mud, take some chains, a shovel, and a handyman jack. Those are lifesavers. Look at that. There you go. So just be prepared. Know where you're going. Absolutely. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. Yeah. Hopefully you get those big old, what are they, tiger fish out in Penguin? There are some tiger trout out there, also some cutthroat. Cutthroat. That are, they wanna, get pretty big. I want to get the rainbows are what people catch the most. See, I want to catch a tiger. My son caught a 20, 19 or 20 inch one, and I think the limit to, in order to keep it, it has to be 21, I think. So it's got to be over 22. 22. See, his yeah. was like 19, 20. And Too it was, short. Yeah, yeah and the, slot, like, the slot limit out there is between 15 and 22. Any tiger or cutthroat, you have, between that length, you have to let them go. Ah, see? Yeah, we had to let ours go. Somebody had a cooler head or was educated. I was like, yeah, we're going to keep that. Uh, actually, you can't. And, and that's important. You know, I, oh, yeah. you know, we've joked about it sometimes. The world comes to an end, how quickly we'd run out of fish and game because people would no longer care about the rules. But that would be true if we just kind of let people poach and just go at it. You know, the state of Utah and, for that matter, other agencies work really hard at trying to keep these things stocked. Poaching is illegal? Yes, unless oh. it's an egg. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You can poach an egg. <laughs> Anything else is illegal. If you poach eggs, make sure you do that correctly too. Salmonella uh, can be that deadly. No, I mean it's in the end. You know, there are a lot of people that gripe about those kind of fish and game things. But if we didn't have those in place, there wouldn't be anything left. Oh yeah, I agree. You'd, you'd be done in a year. Like I guarantee it. Our, our our deer, elk, fish populations. If we just let people have at it, would be gone. Oh yeah. Yeah. They they call that the tragedy of the commons. 
So we're, we're a very conservative state, and many of us like it that way. This is the one area where we have to use conservative in a different way, which is we want to conserve what we love about our state. And if you take, you may think it's only one fish too many, but if enough people do that, it suddenly shuts everything down. Exactly. I was really impressed with that tragedy of the commons. Last, I think last time Brandon worked, he brought up the caste system. The caste. He's the smart guy over Yeah. And I was like, holy, I was like, man, that's impressive. I didn't want to tell him that, but I was really impressed. It's a BYU degree. <laughs> I don't remember saying anything like that, so. Oh, well, see, that's the BYU, that's that's BYU talking better, right there. Because you got Brandon so smart he doesn't even notice when he does that <laughs> intelligence like that. <laughs> the rest can be impressed, but he's just like, no, nah, that's just my speech. It's the way I talk, man. Yeah, we were talking about the, uh, let's see, what was it called? Uh... Yeah, the caste system, which talks about just uh, we have people that are manual that are categorized in a little cat in a like a uh, pyramid where it's shudras, manual laborers, artisans, tradesmen, farmers, and you go. It's kind of like the like the the pyramid of uh, of status status, I guess. I remember that. Now we were talking about yes. Africa. Yes, and I was really impressed. It kind of remind me of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of uh, needs. Needs. Yeah, and it's one of those things you worry about even in our country about what they refer to as kind of a class warfare concept of there are different rules for different people. If you have enough money, you can hire the right attorney, kind of thing. Um, and to a certain extent, that's always going to be true. The the same fine is likely going to be imposed on me for speeding as it is for Bill Gates. I'm going to notice that fine. <laughs> Bill Gates is not. <laughs> And so you, you're going to have a little bit of that, but preferably we don't do too much. But DWR doesn't do that. There's no way to pay your way to the top of the line, right? Nope. Perfect. None at all. You put your name in just like everybody else, but we won't call it a lottery because it's Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Even so, though it is. Yeah, yeah. So back to the hunting part. So there we go. That's uh, just wanted to throw that out there. There was a squirrel through the room if you guys didn't notice. Yeah, there was. There Carlos was. saw a squirrel. Pretty big. So yeah, so as far as the hunt, uh, what, what what can you expect? What are I mean, it has because of our population growth, has there been enough more more tags? Has it stayed the same, or wh- what have you guys seen? So, the amount of wildlife we have is finite. That you know, it doesn't continue into perpetuity forever and ever. And with the increase in population, it's really hard to manage the the wildlife for that increase and what we see is that we can only give out so many tags to maintain those populations but more people are putting in so what we're seeing is that it extends the period of time that it takes to draw a tag and i don't know if any of you hunted last year but the deer hunt in particular was pretty poor Uh, the results the comments i got from the public were a lot of negative feedback and and people were not I'm sure they were enjoying their time because it's good to get out, but they weren't finding what they perceived to be the the harvest success that they were hoping for. And we actually just had a meeting the other day where we discussed the estimated populations of deer, elk, and pronghorn for every unit and the recommendations that our biologists are going to present to the wildlife board and the, and the rack boards, um, which is where the tag numbers are actually made is through that public process through the racks and then the wildlife board. But every year our biologists, they they do their surveys and everything and they come up with the estimated populations and they make recommendations based off of the success rates and the estimated population and all sorts of different factors and and one thing that i noticed was the recurring trend was most of our tag recommendations were going down from last year so less people are going to be able to hunt big game this year there are certain units that are being being the recommendations are going down a lot more drastically than others and they're were a couple units that were staying the same, um, but for the most part, most units are having a reduced recommendation of tag numbers. And I'm assuming that's just mostly based on the trends they're seeing on, you know, new big game being born, I guess, and where those numbers are going. Like a minimum number we have to just to kind of keep replacing and then something higher than that to make sure we have enough to hunt. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of that. Um, a lot of sciencey words and terms and things that go into that. <laughs> Thanks for not um, using those with us. Uh, but 
a lot of their recommendations were actually based off of fawn to doe or or calf to cow ratios and what they were seeing and, and based off of fawn survival so they can look at fawn survival rates which is done through radio collars essentially uh, they're all satellite now not so much radio but um we monitor the survival of these fawns and based off of that you can come up with a survival rate for the fawns and if there's really low fawn survival there's going to be less less individuals going back into that population and so that's one of the factors that is considered um, like i said they also consider harvest uh, statistics and things like that and probabilities but a lot of things that we can't control like that fawn survival is based off of habitat and weather and, and things like that so it's it's pretty tough to predict everything but if you have a low fawn recruitment into the population you're probably going to have your populations are going to start to decrease and based off of those kind of patterns they make their recommendations and this year most of them are are less well that's good because that you know that's good to hear because a lot of people they just you know the ones that say hey they're just doing it to cut down or just they don't want to there's so many only because they, some people see a big group all the time doesn't mean that that's that that it's growing so to me it's good for people to hear just what you just said because then they can be like oh man they are doing they're just, they're they're not just driving out there and saying oh we're not going to get out we're not going to give out this many tags because we're not seeing a whole lot you actually you guys do quite a bit of research from what you're saying yeah and that's just the biologist end i mean from from the division of wildlife efforts and everything it's usually based in science there's statistical programming that they plug all these numbers in um, for example this year was our elk flights year so every three years every unit has a, a helicopter goes up and we count as many elk as we can and then there's a sightability factor which means we go up and count as many elk as we can but we don't believe it's every elk on the mountain and but there's a sightability factor for what and the biologist decides on that 70 or 80 percent and they plug all that information into a statistical model and it'll give you your bull to cow ratios and your and and an actual estimate of what the population is so there's a lot of science that goes behind goes into it and then the obviously the fawn or calf survival and the biologists make those recommendations where it can where it can change from those recommendations is through the public process when you go to the rack meetings uh, the biologist will present there and say this is what what our recommendations are and then the rack meeting can they make a motion to either accept it or or modify it or amend it, I guess is the word, in any particular way. And then those recommendations from the RAC that are, they go to the Wildlife Board, and then the Wildlife Board essentially has free reign, um, but they take the public input from the RACs, they take the division's recommendations, and then the people on the Wildlife Board, they're getting a lot of public input from their own emails or cell phones because people know them. Um, but ultimately, it's the wildlife board that decides how many tags are, are given out. So it's not even the, the biologist. They just make a recommendation, and then the wildlife board, which is appointed through the governor, um, they make all those decisions. Empirical data. Good stuff. Yeah. And probably a lot easier to count them than the prairie dogs that they don't do a good job counting. <laughs> but we won't no go comment. into that. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> totally different set. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think I was one of those for, for several years. I mean, since I started hunting, I never drew. I have I drew out once, and I've been in a drought for the last three years. So hopefully this will be my year. But, I, you know, I can see, I mean, some people can just sit there and be mad about it. But now hearing this information, I, I, it, it makes sense. It just makes sense uh, how, uh, how important it is to make sure that we have wildlife to be able to hunt for generations to come and the big question for you brandon is how to do we sign up to get on that helicopter ride to count those bad boys it's all who you know there's a very secret list uh what was it the class warfare the high class that's people it. so that's uh, the one area where that does actually work no all that would be coordinated through our biologists obviously there's a limited amount of of seats on there but if a seat comes open and you're interested during those times it's it won't happen for another three years down here but um, you know, if you're connected to someone that can get a hold of the biologist in a pinch, you could probably get on that flight somehow. That'd be cool. Sign sign your life away on some waivers, and <laughs> and there you go. Just in case we get distracted and something happens. Yeah. No, that'd be. Fu I think that'd be fun just to go out there and and see see you guys at work and see because I think you guys, even though the season's over, you guys are still busy, aren't you? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I work for the law enforcement section, so we're always busy, but our biologists are also always busy doing their surveys and and uh, classifications is what we call them. Yeah. Uh, they've got pre-hunt classifications, post-hunt classifications, all sorts of kinds of just information gathering that they're running through statistical models to to manage the wildlife these are these are super intelligent people and they're working really hard to make sure that we don't lose the, these opportunities nice they probably got some seu degrees probably probably do we have uh, biologists that are dedicated to southern utah or are they just kind of throughout the whole state so we have yes we do have biologists that are dedicated to southern utah um, when we broke it into units years ago biologists were assigned to different units so each biologist will cover probably one and a half, two to three units, depending on where they're at. But we've got a number of biologists that are assigned just to Southern Utah or the Southwest corner, uh, for sure. So we've got a Pine Valley biologist and a Panguitch biologist and a beaver biologist. And, and sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't, but we've got people that are dedicated to here that have been working for years and years and years and been watching the trends and know what's going on. Very nice. That's good. Yeah, yeah. that is way good. Th those of us not near the Wasatch front, tend to take it personal when they tell us what to do all the time. So <laughs> yeah. it's very helpful to have somebody who knows the area. Well, I mean, just, I mean, I'm an Idaho boy and I ran into the same thing. I was nowhere near the state capital of Boise. Um, you run into it here, just like you did there where you just kind of feel like you're out of loop. So it's nice to know those feeding the information into the system are ones that know the local system. Oh yeah. Our, our biology and stuff here is not the same as it is in say Cache County or Salt Lake County. Yeah, no doubt. I think, I can't speak to it, so this is not an official deal, but I think there's more water up there than down here. Feels like so. it. <laughs> Unofficial. Unofficial data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's um, – now, has there been an uh, – because of the population growth, has there – have you seen a rise in, like, poaching? Um. I feel like I'm always dealing with it, so I don't know that I've seen a rise in it necessarily. Okay. Uh, without being able to pull the numbers, I can't give you a hard and fast answer on that. But in my mind, when we talk poaching, it's a way bigger umbrella than I think what everyone else thinks. When they say poaching, they think deer and elk and maybe pronghorn only. But for me, it's everything. Uh, the Division of Wildlife manages all protected wildlife which is just about every vertebrate land species and vertebrate water species out there in the state of utah minus five or six of them maybe maybe eight so we're talking the birds in your backyards to uh they're protected uh the kangaroo mouse or rat that's down out in the desert they're highly protected really um, so there's for me poaching is such a big umbrella that Poaching is always happening. Yeah. People are always killing stuff that they shouldn't be killing outside of seasons with no licenses, with no permits that we call CORs, which is certificates of registration that, that are required. And so um, I guess my perspective is a little bit different, but it's just a really big umbrella that covers all the wildlife, essentially. Yeah. So let me ask you this. And let's say the kangaroo mouse, I, I don't even know what it looks like. So let's say one day we're out just shooting around with a bb gun we get one of those and somebody's like hey that was a kangaroo mouse i'm going to report you um without you know without like for me if i didn't know and i accidentally got where anybody shoots one of those what do you guys kind of take that on a case-by-case -case basis and say hey well you know we just thought it was just a field mouse yeah well i think the resident attorney might be able to answer this question a little better than me <laughs> but within the wildlife code of utah there are there are separate laws that deal with the culpability and the the knowledge level of of the incident and who who did it essentially and that's that's written in the code so our unlawful take statute is based off of criminal negligence then our wanton destruction statute is based off of behavior with regards to the result that is knowing intentional or reckless and so that kind of stuff is is built into it so hmm. and i think part of the key is if you don't know what it is don't shoot it that's just kind of a normal safety thing. <laughs> you know, I, I would expect that from Randall saying that. I was expecting that. Well, right? it's just, there's no appeal from something like that, right? I mean, after it's done, it's kind of done. <laughs> um, so if you don't get enough of a glimpse at something to know what it is, and you're not 100% confident that you know exactly what you're shooting, just don't shoot it. Because, yeah, there are different levels of culpability, and I don't prosecute a whole lot with DWR because it takes you out of the city. 
We don't do a whole lot of, of hunting inside of city limits. Not impossible, but get permission from the mayor before you can shoot in cedar. Let's just say that. That's ordinance. Even if you yes, have a tag is. for a prairie dog, please don't shoot it without permission from the mayor. Yes. Um, so that, the biggest thing, that's the biggest thing. I, I think the majority of mistakes people make while hunting is not taking the time to be sure, to be careful. Yep. It's the same thing when you mention like the fish. If in doubt, you don't think it's eh, it's close to that 20, throw it in. That, if it's not 22 or you think it might be, just throw it back yeah. in. Even if it breaks let, your Let heart. the thing go, grow a little bit more and the next person will get a bigger fish and be even more proud. Yeah. You know, that's, it, there's no reason when you're hunting and fishing to feel like you got to cut corners because half the fun is the adventure and getting the right thing. Yeah. And doing what you're, you know, I didn't go out there to shoot something I didn't really, really want. I went out there to shoot the right thing. Yeah. And if you're half blind like me, when it comes to small animals, just don't shoot any of them (laughs) (laughs) and get binoculars. Yeah. Decent scope. Definitely. Here's another one. If anybody wants to contribute vortex, pretty good scope. (laughs) If you're getting contributions, you can go better than that even. Yeah. 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 But vortex, we love you. Email me. (laughs) Email. (laughs) I think some of it, I mean, like I know with my uh, younger son's, young men's group they're just talking about gathering sheds <clears throat> um, uh, that was my next question so man. i find that rather interesting um just to go out and gather the the shedded antlers and kind of have those yeah you don't have to kill anything yeah that's right so when is the time for that uh maybe we can pull it up on the website but i believe here, it's february it 1st like, through april 15th yeah as like your typical yes. schedule is you can gather them it sounds like from their website anytime you want but uh, the normal shed hunting between February 1st and April 15th, you do need to do the online training before you go out gathering sheds. Uh, the reason being is is because a lot of those animals are trying to still survive on minimal amounts of food and then the fat they have stored. Yeah. And they're not as lucky as me in storing so much. <laughs> so if you, make them, if you make them run and you, they burn off some more of that fat, they could be in some trouble. It's kind of like waking up a bear during hibernation. It could yeah. be deadly. So they want to make sure that when you're going out there gathering during those late winter, spring months, um, that you're careful that you're not scaring the the big game and causing them harm. And you, you may think it's no big deal, but it, it can cause some serious health yeah. issues for these animals. Yeah, I think their body goes through a whole lot of change. I think all the all the nutrients all and everything goes to those antlers, and the rest of the body kind of gets weakened a little bit. I think I read something about that. I can't be completely sure. Yeah, I, I'm just going by what they have on their website, which okay. is the fat store. So the fat store has become an issue if, you know, they, they've got to make it through winter. Yeah. And our winters aren't brutal, but they also don't get a lot of fresh I don't know. Like, these last, these last, last week was pretty brutal. Yeah, but overall, that's a that's a short period of time. In the yeah. We still things. need more. Yeah, we Hopefully do. not all at once in July. Yeah. What did, what did we get? Somebody was telling me that Brian had got like Five, six feet of snow? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. But the more, the merrier. Yeah. Penguins got 46 inches. That's a lot of snow. We need, yeah. So it's, I, I've always figured that winter is kind of, you know, pointless. So we don't get any snow with it. Like, why do I want cold but no snow? Absolutely. That's what I say. Like, when it's cloudy and it's sprinkling, just rain. Let it rain. Completely agree. So as far as the, the shed hunting... You know, uh, that's one thing I, I like doing too is, uh, it's, I mean, I'm not a like dedicated, I don't know. I don't have a plan, but I just go out, walk around and I've gotten lucky. I think that's the key. It's just an excuse to go out and especially if you can do it with friends or family. Oh yeah. It's amazing. You're not having to be course. quite as silent, I guess, as you are when you're hunting. Yeah. You can take your kids and they can start crying and, <laughs> and no problems. And it's no longer <laughs> echoing in the rooms of your house. It's just outside. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Now, well, I mean, that's, I think a lot of what it is. And I think a lot of the reason why hunters love hunting so much is that, yeah, you only hunt for a few minutes really, yeah. but it's a good excuse to get out in the outdoors and hike and just enjoy other people. Well, if you got, if Not you're, if people. you're really good, a few minutes is good. Sometimes like a big rookie like me, gosh, we were out there for a couple of days and I was just like, come on something. Well, some of your best ones still take that long because they're waiting for something a little bigger. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the thing. I think those of us that are young at everything, it's like, that meets the requirements. Shoot it. You're done. Yep. There we go. <laughs> I've been out here long enough. Thank you. 20 minutes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you don't meet too many of your, totally you know, minutes. big game guys that some of these guys travel all over the country oh, to yeah. try and get some of these. And, oh, yeah. Uh, 
they they want a trophy or they want nothing. Yeah. So Brandon, what is the biggest safety tip you would give for anybody like going shed hunting or just being out in your in your area? Um, to, probably as far as for safety and just to you know ha- enjoy outdoors, but also if something happens to stay safe. Yeah, I would say that not only having the proper safety equipment, but knowing how to use it is important. And then another thing would be to let someone know where you're going to be. It's really difficult to start a search and rescue operation when, when we start from, they went hunting up in Beaver County and then they disappear. And so we've got to start, start from scratch, trying to figure out where you're at. So if you can give somebody a heads up of where you're going to be, that's always a, a good idea and probably the safest thing that you can do help you out. Um, maps are also important. There's a lot of different apps and things that allow you to download your maps that you can use offline and everything like that that shows you where you're at. Uh, there's a there are a number of those that'll that can help you get off the mountain if you find yourself lost. That's huge. And when you say you know making sure you know how to use your safety equipment, that means everybody in your party. Yeah. You know you don't want to have a situation where the dad knows everything, the 12 year old knows nothing, and then the dad gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know. 12-year-old is very capable of doing that kind of stuff if he or she has taught how. Definitely. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions or they want to get a little bit more information, you guys can email us at blackboardpodcast21 at gmail.com, and and we will be – collectively, we'll come up with a – a list of things to get, a good backpack, and put in there. I'm sure Brandon has several. I know – Josh Carver, aka Juicy. <laughs> I know he's got he's got some backpacks and different things to set up, and I'm I'm pretty sure you got the same thing, Brandon, in your vehicle. Um, yeah. If you have questions, email us, and then if if we don't know, Brandon will surely come up with a list, and we'll uh, respond back to you as soon as possible. So that is Blackboard Podcast twenty one at gmail dot com or on Instagram Blackboard Podcast. Uh, you can leave a message there. Uh, and we'll be more than happy to give you uh, a list of what what to get for different situations. So, um, anything else going on around in town that we're missing that people need to know? Well, I mean, we've always got some activity going on somewhere, but in this case, I don't have a list with me. Yeah, it's pretty, I think it's pretty quiet. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty calm right now. Um, I mean, obviously, I have a bias for soccer season, so soccer season's starting up. Yeah. We got our first games this next weekend. Dang. So be be kind, especially when you're around parks. Um, you never know when some kid's going to come running out or a soccer ball's going to come flying. Yes, follow the speed limit. Speed or limit, less. speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most common argument I hear in poor weather is that I wasn't speeding. Remember that conditions change. So <laughs> as my driver's ed instructor once said, <laughs> even five miles per hour sometimes is too fast. So that's right. remember that when you get these heavy storms. One, if you don't have to be out in it, don't be out in it. Um, and two, just be careful out there. We, we've, if you've been here long enough, you've had the joy of having your cars no longer have traction. That's a scary moment. Yeah. My, my eldest has now had that. Uh-oh. Joy. Uh-oh. Um, about a month ago of losing traction for about 20 feet. Dang. And, yeah, it's it was not a pleasant experience for him. That happens. But to you, have to, you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Some people yeah. do it for fun. <laughs> we do not encourage that behavior at home. <laughs> he was talking about a video game. Yes, exactly. Need for speed. Crossy road or something. That's what he was talking about. <laughs> that's how I got into my, like, the only accident I caused in high school. <laughs> pulling up the park parade in the high school parking lot. Uh, he has to say the cast iron truck I hit didn't notice what my car, when my car ran into it. My <laughs> car definitely noticed. Smashed into smithereens. You know, talking about that, I, at Luz, there was one time I was picking up my son in Enoch, and it was icy. It was like maybe 4 o'clock. I mean, it was it was pretty, there was a lot of accidents that day. Yeah, it can happen. And the thing I like to remind people, too, is they think a lot of the traffic code doesn't apply in parking lots. Reckless driving and DUI does. Mm-hmm. So even if you're in that, we had a guy that went and did it next to our arena, uh, just rented a Mustang and went out there and started peeling out and spinning around. And yeah, he wasn't very happy about the ticket he got. Really? In a private? 
it's the well in this case it was a city owned oh, parking lot. There you go. But that's the thing. You just got to make sure you're being safe. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are pretty absolutely. sweet tracks down in near Vegas if you really want to go have fun. That are yeah, with fire and safety crews there. That reminds me of a story, Randall, and it wasn't I wasn't involved in this one, but somebody got arrested for DUI in the parking lot of their drive in in their driveway. Yep. Which, I mean, it's it's been over. 10 years so i think we can talk about that that's oh, yeah. kind of comical I've, I've had a few of those actually there are oh, a really? number of people if you remember playing those tag games as a kid where you had a safe zone you got there they can no longer tag you yeah. that does not work for dui <laughs> yeah. so you'll have people the police will start to pull them over and they'll drive like an extra half a mile or a mile to get to their driveway and then they're surprised when the police still confront them it's like yeah yeah it's not a you're safe you got into your garage sorry at that point that you might be followed in rather quickly if you decided to not pull over when you were supposed yeah, to pull that over. Yeah, that would be another another issue right there. So we, we've had it in their own driveways. We've had it in other people's driveways where they pull into somebody else's driveway in hopes that the cop doesn't see their car. You know, that's really hard to miss a car, but yeah, yeah whatever. Can you get a DUI on a bike? Technically, yes. In the state of Utah, a DUI is uh, operating of a vehicle, not a motor vehicle. So it technically can be on a bike, but not a horse. And yes, there is case law in Utah for that horse one. There, it has oh, that was, and a see, horse, you read my mind. That was my next question. A horse is not a vehicle, but technically, if you were in the buggy behind the horse, that would be a vehicle. <laughs> Technicalities. What if the horse is drunk? <laughs> I haven't had that one actually. <laughs> you actually made him think that, for that a minute. That was a real stump. <laughs> that might be under animal abuse, but animal <laughs> cruelty. I haven't had that one. Hey, if the if the water what is it, the water trough? If yeah. it had stuff if it's stuff in there, you know? I don't know if horses eat marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very expensive grazing. <laughs> oh man. Never say wow. never, Randall. Yeah, that that is that that would be a first. <laughs> I have not had an impaired horse. And we've even prosecuted somebody for a llama at large. So, I mean, I've had some experience with some a animals. Llama at a large. llama at large. Well, because they use llamas actually work pretty well with like sheep and stuff like that. Yeah. As like a herd animal. Um, and so we had one that got loose over in the Walmart area here in you know, the south part of Cedar City. And it took them like four hours to corral in this llama. Dang. So, needless to say, they sighted the guy with a llama at large. You needed a cowboy on a drunk horse to, That's, to uh, make that exactly. happen. Boom, there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, it's it's sad. I think we really should make some arrangements with the local high schools and you know the the rodeo teams. You know, they yeah. would probably enjoy coming out and trying to rope one of those. Oh, I'm sure that'd be a good idea. First, first one gets you know some type of trophy of public assistance or something like that. Well, before you end your career, that's I would love for you to prosecute something like that. Yeah, I'm hoping that does not happen. <laughs> You never know at a parade. I've had some weird animal ones, but I have not yet had a drunk animal. You never know. Parades every year. Years ago when I, I wasn't living down here, I was living in Vernal. I was dealing with a, with a deer that was, that I found eating nacho cheese off of someone's table. So <laughs> it's possible that marijuana might not be too far away. <laughs> the horse had the munchies, but we're not sure about the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eating nacho cheese. Nice. Well, they eat a lot. Yeah. Not quite goats. They'll eat anything. I don't know. Can they eat metal? Somebody was telling me that they can eat like aluminum cans. And That's what I've heard. I've never seen one. Anyway, I don't want to. I had goats growing up, but we didn't try and feed them aluminum cans. Yeah. So didn't try would, get, would somebody get charged for that if they wanted to do that experiment, Ben? If they you on know, goats? Yeah. You'd have to ask him. What do you think? <laughs> That's it's all going to be based on whether or not it's likely to cause an injury. So if you have a can that can, if you, if say it, say it tried to bite it, my biggest fear was it would, be, it would create some sharp edges. And I mean, it's similar to, you know, feeding a dog chicken bones. Um, the dog's not going to notice the difference, but it can get splinters and cause some pretty serious damage to all the right. dog. So there are certain things like that that can happen. Um, hmm. We had a, a person who will remain unnamed um, up in Idaho who actually was sick of the neighborhood cats getting to his yard, so he actually put out some cat food with some poison. Wow. Ended up putting a person into a hospital who decided to do mouth-to-snout on their dog. Um, 
<laughs> and hazmat suits. It was nuts. It was crazy because they didn't know what it was, and that's all it was. And that's the same fear. There are always accusations here. There are people trying to poison prairie dogs. Please don't. Um, not only is that a crime, but, too, it's also very dangerous for the rest of the animals. And, again, people who are willing to do mouth to snout on their dog. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, I like my dog, but. Not that much? <laughs> no. Not enough to kiss no, the dog quite like no. that? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's, I'm amazed at how many people around here, that, not just here, anywhere, that the animal is part of their family. So yeah. if you do something that endangers their animal, take into consideration you may be endangering the rest of the family as well. Yeah. Uh, some, I would probably say close to half of the dog bites we've had in Cedar City have been a dog going after another dog and then the owner of that victim dog trying to separate them and getting bit. Um, not the smartest thing to do under the circumstances, but also understandable that your instinct is to try and protect yours. Yeah. You know, if a dog went after your kid, you would definitely try and protect your kid. And some people treat their dog about the same level. Yeah. Maybe even better in some cases. Yeah. Maybe I, because they're better trained. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that reminds me of a story. We had three little Shih Tzus and they got in a fight. One of my kids tried to break it up and he got bit. Yep. And yeah, and any dog can cause injuries. Oh yeah, you know it was probably 15 years ago. We had people trying to do a pit bull ban. They really wanted us to put that in the ordinance. And beyond the difficulty of most people identifying a pit bull, we were like, you know what? Even a Chihuahua has been had one confirmed death, like actually killed a baby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One really? in the entire country, but it was one, and we all noticed that when it was listed on there. Like seriously. Now. It's um, but yeah, yeah. Any any dog, and the bigger the dog, the more likely it can cause injury but wild animals are probably even more so because they're not used to humans definitely not and careful in certain areas you know i think of main street next to the cemetery for example I, i've seen more big game hit there than i think anywhere in cedar and it just seems to be a common place i had a whole family of deer once when i was out jogging next to coal creek that i had to pause for yep because <laughs> i was not getting close enough for those mama deer to uh, come after me yeah, for some reason they're like kamikaze deer. They don't cross the road until you're there to hit them. Makes them panic. The deer in the headlight concept is absolutely true. Except I don't think it's they just freeze. I think it's the headlight hits them and they jump. Yeah, or that. Yeah. Well, here's a side fact. There are 10 states that have the most cities banning dog breeds. Number one, Iowa, Rottweilers. They're subject to breed bans. Kansas, Doberman Pinchers, face bands. In Ohio, pit bulls have it hard. This is according to findanyanswer.com. And then Missouri. Pilot Grove, Missouri, bans chow chows. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a chow chow. Uh, I have not either. They got, they've got like the blue tongue and they're like a, they're like a really tall, skinny American bulldog looking thing. He never stops to impress me. They, God. See, they, they don't to, really look like an American bulldog. You didn't I'm trying to go to, to the web to ask. You just need to ask Brandon. Your I dog. know. If anybody out there has a question, ask Brandon. That's going to be a, That's going to be next time we're going to have a shirt that says ask Brandon. Instead of a let's go Brandon, it's going to yeah, be ask Brandon. Ask Brandon. Bring it on. I love yeah, the support. Yeah, there you go. See? <laughs> I love the support. Is that better or worse than all the signs that now have your name on it? Uh, I. I'm flattered, quite frankly. Because <laughs> everybody's just encouraging you yeah. to be good at whatever you're doing. I've never doing. been better at life than I have for the last year now. So <laughs> There you go. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, that is, I guess that's better than having your name be Karen, which has kind of got a negative <laughs> connotation to it. True. Which is sad because I went to high school with a girl named Karen. She was awesome. Poor lady. Yeah. Name change right there. Yeah. But Brandon, that's, that's actually not bad. You're right. It, it landed well. You get flags and bumper stickers all with your name on it. Yep. Dang. You don't even drive a race car. <laughs> I don't need to anymore. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I will not ask any additional oh, questions man. along those lines. <laughs> and, and the nice thing is in, in we had decided, you know, nobody in staff and nobody on the city council in Cedar wanted to add a breed-specific ban. You know, beyond the difficulty of proving what breed something is, yeah, we just didn't think the statistics backed up justifying it. Uh, but only just probably six, seven years ago, Utah itself banned it. So we no longer have the ability. They banned the ban. We no longer have the ability to ban a breed-specific. Nice. You know, have a breed-specific ban even if we wanted to. And we didn't. What kind of breeds were on the list that you discussed? 
the pit bull was the only one that everybody wanted to bring in. Um, and, and part of it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Um, we had had a bite. It's probably been now 16 years ago, almost 17. Uh, poor girl. I mean, it just caused some serious damage. And some of these dogs, when they latch on, they latch on and then they shake. Yeah. And it isn't just the bite to back you off. It's the bite to cause some serious damage. And so you get an emotional response. You, you get a, we need to protect the kids. You're right, we do. But sometimes a knee-jerk reaction is not the best way to create a law. Yeah. Maybe this is accurate. Maybe it's not. But just yesterday I was out towards Burl where there's a canine breeder out there. And I was helping him out with some wildlife stuff. But she was saying that one of her dogs, I don't, I don't know, I know the circumstances, but she ended up getting bit by her dog. And it latched onto her arm. And she, she's like, I just told myself to relax. And so at least with those police canines, it's the, it's the tugging. It's the pulling. It's a play 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 or pray drive thing for them but if you if you can talk yourself into relaxing i guess that might help but you know if some dogs bite me i don't know how relaxed i'm gonna be yeah that'd be a little <laughs> rough yes this is why i always like preferred traveling with a brother of mine because for whatever reason the dogs always went after him <laughs> so i was i was perfectly relaxed he was not you're just watching. Uh, relax, man. Relax. Yeah, relax. You're doing great. You're doing so good. But that's that's your difficulty. You do have quite a few. I had a case here recently <laughs> where the person responded as an alpha male to this dog that was barking at her and her dog, and it backed the dog off. How many kids and how many even adults have the ability to do that, to know when you should be acting as the alpha male and when you should be playing dead? And that's whether it's domesticated animal or wildlife, we don't always know which one that animal is going to respond to. Um, so I always put that plug into use a leash, an actual physical leash on your animals, especially your dogs. Um, and that's, again, both with people and animals involved, including wildlife. Um, the last thing you need is, especially now, is the, the, the deer may be heading wherever they can to find food. last thing we need is your dog chasing one. Just don't put a leash on the wildlife. Yes, please don't leash the wildlife. <laughs> that that would be a crime, in case you're wondering. Definitely. If um, you find a if you find a field mouse, do not put a leash on those <laughs> poor things. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> discouraged that one. <laughs> if you have a temptation to do that, please seek therapy. <laughs> or a desert tortoise. Those are pretty cool. You can't touch those, though, right? Uh, I don't think under, you can. Under certain circumstances, you can touch them. Um, but look but it up first. It's not like don't. it's moving fast, so you have time to look it up before you do anything. <laughs> They're actually surprisingly quick, but oh. I recommend don't touch them. Um, but if you're down in the St. George area and you happen to see one trying to cross a highway, we ask that you pick it up and put it back on the opposite or on the other side of the fence. We have tort tortoise fences, and so put it back over there. We don't yeah. want them smushed, but you can't take them home. You so when you say surprisingly fast, like how, how fast are we talking here? Oh, I mean, if, if we were to pace them, they'd probably be like a quarter mile an hour. So that's our speedy. Well, I mean, it's, okay, not, I've just, it's not fast for us, but uh, okay. when I think tortoise, I think like <laughs> two steps a day, kind of slow. <laughs> so when I first saw him, I was like, man, slow down, dude. A sloth is faster hurry. than a tortoise. <laughs> all right. It's, I guess it's all relative. It's all relative. Einstein was right. <laughs> Theory of relativity. Yeah. I had a guy down in St. George. He has, so there are certain tortoise species that you can legally obtain. Um, there's a, I think it's called a Salcutta. And I think it might come out from out of Africa, but it's not protected wildlife. It's a domesticated breed. There's a guy in St. George. He's had it for years and years and years. The tortoises will outlive you. Um, but the thing was like 60 or 70 pounds and it, someone left his gate open and it got out on the, out on the road and it was basically the 70 pound boulder just sitting in the lane and the, there were a lot of frantic people <laughs> it's a dinosaur i have not done a tortoise at large that would be kind of fun that would be fun i think i read a couple of years ago that you can adopt one but you have to find somebody to take care of it because like you said it's going to outlive you for sure so the ad adoption program is under some changes right now so, uh -oh. so currently there there's some there's some stuff going on there. We may know later this year what the Wildlife Board decides on that. Um, but in the past, people have been allowed to adopt them. There were three counties that were on that particular list where people were not allowed to adopt them, and it was Iron, Washington, and Kane. Mm. So if you lived in Iron County, um, no one was going to authorize you to, to have one, but that could potentially change here in a little bit. Is that because of weather? I mean, what? It, 
from well, my I guess understanding what's different here that means they don't want them here so my understanding was that when the adoption program was created they were concerned about the counties that were closest to the natural the natural home range of the tortoise and they didn't want people going down and pulling them out of the wild ah. they wanted people to to obtain them through the adoption program which at the time was a legal thing right now like i say it's up in the air so don't try to adopt one right now um, but they didn't want people tempted to drive 45 minutes and grab one and bring it back to Iron County or Washington or Kane because of the natural home range there. And I believe that was the reason for that that delineation there. Hmm. It's important to know. I want to get one. You have to have you have to meet certain requirements. Yeah, there's a 53 page manual on it. So oh yeah. If you're ready to read some, I got the synopsis of it. Just barely, or your things? No, a couple <laughs> years ago, I uh, I I read it and I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But then it's, yeah, man, those, you got to have it so it can hide, you know, sit there and hide out in the winter. You got to have so much space. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, they hibernate, and and so you got to have a place for them to hibernate yeah. and everything like that. They've got to have an enclosure that they can walk around in, which typically people will use their backyards. But currently, with Outside of the adoption program, they are actually on one of our, um, the word is escaping me, all this time at SUU. Uh, <laughs> um, are they on any of the protected species? Yes, okay. that's what the word is prohibited. So you cannot possess them in the state of Utah, period, um, outside of the adoption program, which is currently under changes. So keep that in mind. It is against the law to, to possess them. But they're they're pretty cool. They're like little tanks that just motor yeah. around. <laughs> It'd be um, cool to have one, I think. One of the big issues we see with them right now is uh, with the with the population growth and people coming in from California and other states that have natural populations of the tortoise and other states have adoption programs also. People are bringing those tortoises into Utah, but they're still illegal to possess. So even if you had it, had it legally in California, you can't bring it to Utah Ooh. and possess it legally, much like marijuana that you purchase from Colorado or something like that. Uh, people get mad when I compare their pets to drugs, but it's the, it's the same <laughs> principle. If you can obtain it legally somewhere but can't have it in Utah, yeah. it's the same problem. Absolutely. So we run into issues like that. So, Dang. Well, all this time, you know, I wish we could sit here forever. But, but we actually have to work. Yeah, for everybody, this is our time. It's our hour is up. And uh, we appreciate all our listeners. Including, All five. Yeah. Including the, the company Eskimo Vortex. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I think here in a little bit we're gonna have a uh we're gonna have a we are gonna publish a uh a episode which will be just exclusively on our podcast because this one's gonna be uh this is gonna be a interview that we're gonna conduct on a with a awesome lady that wrote a book on a tragedy or that happened to her and uh, we'll hopefully get that by sometime in march and then we'll publish that we'll let you guys know because we'll have one more radio show and we'll let you know when that's ready uh, but it'll be on our on our podcast so for all you guys that are on break right now and not doing any homework or minimal homework hang in there uh, if you guys feel like you guys need to talk to somebody, we have the health and wellness right next to uh, the radio station. Um, they have a uh, they have somebody that you can talk to that that way you can manage some of the stress that you're going through. We also have caps, even though the week, even though you guys are on break, they're still here working. Also, stop by our police department. We do have that soft interview room where. You guys can just uh, sit down and, uh, you know, kind of collect your thoughts. But also we have CAPS that you can make an appointment. Dean of Students, uh, Heather Ogden. I know I've said it before, but she is uh, she's an amazing person. She does good work to help you guys out in any way possible. And uh, once again, this was the Blackboard Podcast with Carson Randall and SU on Patrol. We'll see you guys next time.